We're in Exodus 32 this morning. Uh, we'll be looking, of course, at Moses. And Moses, as he intercedes on behalf of Israel. Aaron, the high priest of Israel, has been guilty of helping the people fashion a golden calf. And it's interesting, the two great sins of Israel to the Muslim world is one of, this, one of them is this golden calf. As descendants of Abraham, they hold it against the Jews that they would have this idol. So that's just in the Muslim world, I guess. But Aaron, the high priest, proclaims to the people, this is your God, O Israel. B-E-R. Bad enough, right? <laughs> and he says, this is the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he declares that tomorrow will be a feast day to the Lord. And you instantly question uh, Aaron's words. Which God are they speaking of? The golden calf or the living God? In verse 6 of chapter 32, Then they rose up early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink. And rose up to play. That verse could be a good description of today's society. Especially here in America where our endeavors are for entertainment. You can sit down with a financial planner. And if your budget has any extra money any wiggle room in there whatsoever, that financial planner will designate, he would allocate money for entertainment. Israel, they're out in the wilderness. God has provided them food, manna. He's provided them water from the rock that follows them. And it says, then the multitude eats and drinks and raise up to play. What's wrong with that picture? <laughs> our hobbies, our pleasures, whether they're hunting, fishing, shopping, whatever, can become idols of entertainment if we're not careful. And we are to be careful that no entertaining thing dominates our life. Our lives, we were created to have meaning. God says he created us for his own good pleasure. That goes beyond us having just a purpose for a good time. Now I'm going to mention an acronym and I'll see how many of you know what it means. TGIF. We all know what that means, right? Thank goodness it's Friday. Why are you thinking Goodness, it's Friday, because tomorrow you get to play <laughs> or seek entertainment, whatever. And the, the sad note to this, I think, is we fall into a trap of entertainment. And that goes over to churches sometimes. 
some of the large churches, some of the mega churches, are constantly bringing in special speakers. You get tired of me, that's too bad. You got to live with me. They'll bring in special speakers, they'll bring in Christian rock bands. And it's all really to draw in a crowd and entertain them. And that produces a large contingent of what we call Christian who hop from church to church, depending on who is entertaining, in the name of the Lord, on that Sunday or midweek, whenever. And we have to be careful not to get over indulging in entertainment. I often hear from people outside of our church, you people would never say this, what does your church offer? I have to fight back a response to that. <laughs> I want to say, what do you offer the church? <laughs> you know, we're the body of Christ. What are you bringing to the table? But the church should provide an opportunity for a believer to express his or her love to God and to fellow man. We should be able to do that here as we assemble together. But back to Exodus, God is about to call a halt to the party that is going on around this golden calf. So let's look at verses 7 through 10 in chapter 32. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Ouch. <laughs> God has just given the nation of Israel. He's just given them over to Moses. They're your people, Moses, and they have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside ever so quickly from the way that I have commanded. They have molded a calf, and now they've even sacrificed to that calf. And then we hear the words of, uh, of the people. This is our God, O Israel, who brought us out of Egypt. Reminds me of the same heart, the same hard, unbelieving heart, that Pharaoh had. And God brought ten plagues against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And now God is saying to Moses, Stand aside, leave me alone, Moses, so my wrath may burn hot against them, so that I may consume them. God desires to consume Israel with fire. Or... Does he really? We will begin to see in the next little scripture reading we do how God chose Moses to be the leader of Israel 
and I think Moses shines. This is one of his shining moments. So let's look at verses 11 through 14. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all of this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. It is critical in our theology. It is very important for us to understand what's going on here. It is the Spirit of God himself that is urging Moses to intercede for Israel. Never, never lose sight of that. God is looking for a way to turn aside his wrath. And we have in these verses the relationship between God and Moses, and it's exposed for all of us to see. And it's a relationship of a close friendship for it said of Moses he spoke to God face to face friendship with God is a believer's greatest blessing we can desire things from God and get caught up into our wants and our needs. But our greatest need is that relationship, that friendship with the living God. A good friend is one of life's treasures. To give you an, an example of how limited my life is, you people here are my best friends. Sad. But that's the way it is. <laughs> Hopefully you understand. I'm kidding with you. Romans 12.10. We are to prefer one another. We are to desire friendship with one another as Christian friends. Most of us have many acquaintances. We have people that we know that we work with and so forth and so on. But I find it impossible, and maybe you do too, to have a close friend that's not a believer. There's just not enough common ground there to have a true friendship with someone that doesn't believe in my Lord. And we all have family whom we love, but not necessarily whom we want to spend a lot of time with unless they are believers. And when they're a believer and their family, that is a great relationship. Years ago, when I first began to get involved in ministering 
at the church we attended in California, my, my mother said to me, I think you would rather spend time with your church friends than with me, your mother. She may have been right. <laughs> I didn't know it showed. <laughs> in a close friendship, you don't have to go through what we call the preliminaries. Even though, you know, you haven't seen a close friend for perhaps even years, you can catch up. You can be on the same page in an instant. Do you have friends like that? I have several like that. And it's a joy to be with them because instantly we're right together. But back to our text. God has declared his displeasure with Israel to his friend Moses. Verse 11, Moses pleads with God, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? The same people that you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. And I believe, in a way, this is a test of the loyalty of Moses. God tells Moses, I will consume this stiff-necked, rebellious people. And of you, Moses, because you're my friend, I will make you a great nation. But Moses doesn't want anything to do with being a great nation. Moses, with a heart towards God, he begins to intercede for Israel. And that is exactly what God wants him to do. Moses asked God a question. He says, hey, what will the Egyptians say, God? You have brought Israel. Have you brought them out to harm them? Please, God, turn away from your hot wrath and relent of this harm to your people. By the way, Moses just give the children of Israel back to God. They're not mine, God. They're yours. <laughs> Remember, God, you swore by your own self that you would multiply the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and you would make them numerous as the stars, and you would give them this land. God has just found his reason not to consume Israel with fire. Moses, a man, a friend, intercedes for his people, Israel. Now, you may say, eh, you're reading a little too much into this, Pastor Don. Well, consider the cross of Christ and sinful man. In John 3.16, a verse that we're all familiar with, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God looked at the entire world that was sinful. The entire world that deserved punishment and death. And he gave us his own son as a, the great intercessor. Jesus became the sacrifice. He became sin for the entire world. All of mankind. Because God the Father was looking for a way not to punish mankind 
whom he loves so dearly. It's a mystery to me, and it's hard for me to understand why God loves us so much. It really is. I would have quit on most of us a long time ago, but God loves us. It's also hard for me to understand how God was willing to give his own son to suffer, to suffer for a people that are prone to sin. And yet God sent Jesus, sent him to the cross for you and I. We are, you and I, the whosoevers in John three sixteen. Whosoever believes, we, the whosoevers, do not have to suffer. We're not required to suffer death for our sins because of Jesus and the cross. God in his great love gives every person created the choice. He gives them a choice. Believe and accept Jesus as your substitutional sacrifice or reject Jesus and suffer the consequences of your sin. Every person is given that choice. But know this. God, after offering his own son as our substitution, as our sacrifice, know this, God's wrath burns hot against sin. And it also burns hot against those who reject his son. Why does God love us, his creation, so completely? It really is a mystery. In this episode of God and Moses debating, you know, they're going back and forth. Who are the children of Israel and who do they belong to? They're yours, God. No, they're yours, Moses. <laughs> nice to be loved. But anyway, behind the whole debate is these two friends, and they're discussing God's behavior towards Israel. Does Israel deserve judgment they're dancing around a golden calf <laughs> i would say they deserve judgment but god is the same yesterday today and forever and god is full of mercy and grace and i'm so glad and god by his spirit prompts moses to intercede on israel's behalf lest their sin requires God to judge them. Now fast forward. 1,500 years, God is still full of grace and mercy, and Jesus was required to pay the price on the cross for our sins because of God's love for us. Something for you to think about. It's not man's bad behavior. It's not man's sins that condemn him. It's the rejection of God's salvation that condemns him. When we reject Jesus, we reject God's pardon of our sins. That God would even consider Moses opinion 
about the children of Israel is amazing. But God's looking for Moses to intercede. He's looking for that man that will stand in the gap. And that is amazing to me. Let me get you to turn to John chapter 15. I just want to read a little passage for you. We'll look at verses 12 through 17. And in this passage, Jesus will talk about us, his friends. John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. There is a progression here that we need to consider. Jesus speaks of the greatest way that love can be expressed, and that is to lay down your life for your friends. That's the greatest way love can be expressed. Then Jesus declares, we are his friends, and Jesus will and did lay down his life for us. In a different passage, Jesus uh, proclaimed, no one takes my life, I lay it down. That truth, it deserves a moment for us to allow it to just sink in. You know, just let it come down and find a home in our heart. Now our response to verse 14, to obey Jesus Showing our friendship towards him is to be obedient. That's how we show friendship to Jesus, who says, you're my friends. We respond by being obedient. Obedience is the greatest trait a believer can have. Verse 15, let me paraphrase this first. Because we, as believers, are friends of Jesus... Jesus will allow us to know what he is doing. Past, present, and future. There's no mysteries there. God has laid it out for us. On Wednesday evening, the men's study is going through the book of Revelation, and we're almost through it. But the primary thing about the book of Revelation, it is the things God is going to do. Except for the first three chapters, that's all Revelation is, talking about things that are to come. God wants us to know what's going to happen. Our friendship with Jesus enlightens us. It enlightens us about the world we live in, the nature of man, and the events that are to come. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, I do not want you to be ignorant brethren. 
newsflash, neither does God. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. And Paul is talking about future things like the rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 5, let me read that to you. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We're blessed to know the future that God has for us in this world. Amen? Amen. And as friends of God, we can know the things that are coming. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer.